Hello, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. My name's Craig Booker. The title of this episode is When in Despair. The material in this episode is inspired by scene by Will Hutcherson and Chinway Williams. Note, I will talk a lot about mental health, but please note this is not a substitute for therapy or mental health care. The title of this episode is When in Despair. This week, we are talking about despair. What despair is, um, some of the science behind it. And so if you don't have the book where you're following along, hopefully this gives you enough context um, to understand where this chapter is coming from. So he starts off talking about the brain. And he's saying that the brain is made up of two hemispheres and essentially two different functions. He says, of course, it's made up of more, but for our case, this is kind of where we're simplifying it. We're talking about these two essential functions of, of the brain, the left brain, the right brain. And so he starts out talking about the right brain. And to help us better understand kids and the challenges that they're facing and when they're in despair, and this also applies to adults, but obviously this material is written for kids or teens. So we'll, we'll take it and apply it where we can. But it says the right brain is responsible for emotional processing. So uh, in the book, uh, I believe this is Will speaking. He says, this is where the amygdala processes fear and other emotions that activate fight, flight, or freeze during stressful or dangerous situations. It's also the part of the brain affected by parent-child attachment. And he says, we'll talk about more on that later. And then he goes into the left brain. The left brain is responsible for our logical processing. And he says that the left side of the brain is responsible for logical processing. This is the part of the brain where one's ability to plan and organize takes place. All right, so when our brains are calm, if we think about this process, when our brains are calm, the left brain or our logical brain is able to be its logical self. And when we're upset, um, the emotional right brain tends to take over and we react based on our emotions. And this is true for anyone who has experienced trauma or as an insecure parent-child attachment. He says, with a healthy brain, the process goes back and forth between the emotional right brain and the logical left brain. And we were designed by God with a lot of emotions. We're created with the ability to pass them over to cognitive processing. All right, so he says our emotions are real, but we have the ability to consider them logically and determine whether or not what we feel is actually true. So in the book, they give this diagram of the brain and um, said, you know, it shows the two hemispheres. It shows some arrows like going back and forth between the two hemispheres. And it shows the left being labeled as logical. It shows the right being labeled as emotional. And at the bottom, it says healthy and a healthy brain is constantly passing it back and forth. Right. So. As we experience things, we maybe experience it in the right side, in our emotional side, and then we're passing it to the logical side for processing. And, and so it just gives this diagram of what a healthy brain would look like. So they give an example in the book and it says, or Will says, if I hear a loud bang followed by the sound of shattering glass, I'm instinct instinctively going to be startled. 
my heart rate will rise because of my fight, flight, or freeze response has been triggered on the right side of my brain. But let's say I stop and look around, I'm investigating, logical, and discover that a picture has fallen off the wall. Immediately, I take a deep breath and my stress begins to subside. Healthy functioning means we're able to deal with our emotions properly. The problem is when we can't logically process our emotions, something else takes place. That something is despair. He's given us this picture of what a healthy brain looks like. He's also described what happens when our, our brains aren't able to pass that emotional response off to the logical left brain side. And when that happens, he's talking about that's, that's when despair happens. And they ask the question, what is despair? And he says, the Bible, a text full of descriptions of authentic and raw emotions, references the word despair frequently. We counted 28 instances. Psalms 69.20 of the NLT, it says, Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me. Will goes on to talk about, he says, Despair is what someone feels when they become hopeless and disconnected from their, from their emotional state. Psychologist Mark Goulston describes despair as a dispairing when two halves of the brain begin to separate. This process is called emotional detachment. He shows here's what despairing looks like in the brain. And they show, again, a very similar picture of the two hemispheres of the brain. Um, one is, I, I would guess, the left side looks a little bit less messy. And the right side, the emotional side, you know, just as a bunch of lines like squirrel, it's it's very messy. And in between that, down the middle, there's the word barrier to symbolize a barrier. So we have the logical side, which is very neat and organized. And then on the right, we have the, it labeled fight or flight on the emotional side. And we have the barrier going down the center, symbolizing how our brains are not passing messages back and forth. All right, he says, experiencing stress causes cortisol, a stress hormone, to flood the brain. A constant drip of cortisol causes the detachment or disparing. Understanding this, excuse me, understanding this matters because we need our logical processing to be able to navigate our emotions. When the two sides are detached, we can't navigate the constant flow of emotional signals. This detachment explains why those in despair often feel numb. Some describe it like experiencing their life outside of themselves because it's so difficult for them to identify how they really feel. They can become dissociated from their emotions. The risk of this detachment happening increases when something traumatic happens. All right, so he goes on, he says, trauma as well as stresses of life can cause the amygdala, the part of the brain where fight, flight, or freeze response is located, to become overactivated. This, um, excuse me, this results in all of the emotions building up on the right side of the brain. All the blood flow starts to head that way. 
the brain essentially goes back to survival mode and logical processing tends to break down. The challenge for adolescents is that their brains are still developing. The frontal cortex, which is responsible for higher thinking, like judgment and decision-making, decision isn't fully developed. In the book, uh, they, they tell a story about a teenager named Chloe. So I'm going to read the story about Chloe. All right, it says, says, meet Chloe. Uh, and it looks like this is Chen Wei, the other co-author to this book, Chen Wei Williams, uh, speaking. It says, I, Chen Wei, met Chloe when she was 13 years old, approximately seven months after discovering her father lying on the kitchen floor, not breathing. Her small group leader had dropped her off at my office after experiencing yet another emotionally rough day. Chloe was struggling not just from the traumatic loss of her dad, but also from the loss of memories she hoped they would share in the future. Chloe told, Chloe told me her story, tearfully vacillating between reoccurring thought of the coffee mug she had shattered on the floor next to her dad, and, and their heated disagreement the previous night about a seventh grade boy she had been texting. Over the course of the uh, over the course of our time, together Chloe reported vivid and disturbing dreams that disrupted her quality of sleep. She also developed a noise sensitivity, which resulted in escalating arguments with her busy twin sisters who shared the adjoining room. Anxiety also began to set in. Despair is often intertwined with anxiety, and anxiety can stem from trauma. Following a traumatic loss... Stress-related hormones can initiate a heightened state of arousal in our nervous system. When we are chronically anxious, we become hyper-alert and continuously on the lookout for danger. This state of hyper-arousal was difficult for Chloe to manage, to manage, leading her to miss several days of school each month. Am I crazy? Chloe would period periodically ask. I assured her that she was not and attempted to explain that she was experiencing a physical reaction to acutely ex acutely stressful experience. With her mother, grandparents, and small group rallying around her, Chloe eventually improved and became a typical high schooler. When she battled occasional waves of anxiety and despair, she functioned overall relatively well. That is, until several years later, her boyfriend cheated on her and later broke up with her, setting her into a downward, downward spiral. Then she began to self-harm. Chloe and I reconnected through counseling, and I asked her directly about thoughts to end her life. She denied feeling suicidal, but when I asked her to share what she did feel, she said, I feel nothing, just numb, emotionally dead inside. Chloe's experience was not uncommon. I have counseled kids and Many teenagers over the years who engaged in self-harming behaviors meant to release and cope with profound emotional pain or despair. I know it's hard to think about a child intentionally hurting themselves, but for some kids like Chloe, cutting seemed like the only way to disrupt the overwhelming pain of rejection and grief from two recent painful losses. Self-harming is viewed as emotionally regulating behavior, and the reasons why youth self-harm are complex. 
many teens who self-harm do so as a way to distract from emotional pain, but also as a means to discover if they can wake up from an emotional slumber to feel anything following a long period of emotional numbness. Think of it this way. Kids and teens who self-harm are desperately trying to bring the two sides of the brains back together to feel something again, to feel anything. Chloe's story is an illustration of the contrasting nature of despair. For some youth battling despair, there can be excessive and overwhelming emotions, while others experience a profound sense of emptiness. In an article written in the psychological journal Development Psychology, the author outlined the results of a six-year study that had followed nearly 3,500 children between the age of 3 and 12 who had been exposed to a violent incident. The study found that the children had become emotionally numb regardless of age or gender. And so they list here some common factors that may lead to emotional numbness. Deeply emotional experiences such as loss of a loved one, car crashes or near-death experiences, childhood emotional abuse, physical abuse, and or neglect. Extreme interpersonal conflict or ongoing stress, usually with a family member or a close friend, finding out about a, a terminal illness. They go on to say, researchers also discovered that regardless of the reason for the dissociation, the good news is that in most cases, the numbness eventually goes away with frequent engagement and self-care and support from others. Parents and leaders, what you say and how you show up in your kids' or teens' life really matters. The way you respond to someone who is emotionally dead could actually lead them to feel more alive. And so now we move into the section called the power of connection. Parents and caring adults have a supernatural ability to help kids heal from despair. This is possible because of the power of connection. Research on attachment and neuroplasticity confirms that our brains are wired to respond to love and empathy, even when we're in despair. When we connect with another person or when someone empathizes with us and helps us to feel seen, the two sides of the brain begin to heal. And so they ask, how does this work? Oxytocin, a hormone responsible for healthy attachment, floods our brain and begins to bring the two sides back together. As we experience connection, love, empathy, and secure attachment, the two sides rejoin. As a result, despair lessens. The brain's repairing can restore a wholeness that allows emotional processing to then flip over into logical processing. This happens in the context of healthy relationships, and it happens in the context of love. No one modeled how to do this better than Jesus. He healed more, more than blind eyes and deaf ears. He healed hearts. Remember the woman he met at the well. And this was in John 4, 4 through 42. And the, one, and the one caught in adultery, John 8, 3 through 4. Jesus helped them heal by showing love and empathy. Parents have the ability to help their kids heal faster than anyone in a kid's life. Other influences like small group leaders, teachers, pastors, and other caring adults can too, but not, but not like parents can this is true because of parent-child attachment. Early in the life of a child, 
they form important attachment to caregivers in their lives. This most commonly happens through parents. The, this impacts the child through, throughout their lifespan. The attachment formed in the first two years eventually forms an adult's framework of attachment with other relationships. This even impacts a person's relationship with God. Parents and caregivers can distinguish and respond to a child's emotions like no one else can. Psychologists refer to this as attunement. You can think of this as being in sync or paired. And maybe you've met someone who just seems to get you in ways other people do not. They recognize what you are feeling and know how to respond in ways that you need. This helps you to feel understood or to feel seen. Kids who are facing despair often do not feel seen. They might feel alone or like no one understands. Often they feel as though no one else feels the way that they do. Many times, kids in despair do not know what they are feeling or cannot put into words. Connection changes everything. This all changes when we tap into the power of connection. Parents and caregivers are crucial to the well-being of a child, but they are not the only one your child needs. They need a team of teachers, pastors, coaches, counselors, and doctors. The more that their team uses these pairing tools, the more they will feel seen. The more connected kids feel, the more the two sides of the brain come back together. That's when healing takes place and where hope begins. Right. So we're going to talk about the what they talk about as pairing tools. We, we kind of mentioned it here in the last section that we've been talking about, but it says, how do we help kids feel seen? They, they give us five practical tools or pairing tools that they call them. So we're going to cover them from a high level, and then the rest of the book is going to cover these in detail. So the five practical tools are to show up, see them, just listen, speak life, and build grit. If you're a parent with a kid or teenager who is in despair, fighting depression, or having suicidal thoughts, the good news is you can help them. These tools are for you to give you hope when things seem hopeless and empower you to step more confidently toward connecting and healing. And by no means are these a replacement to spiritual tools of prayer, the truth of God's word, or the power of faith. These tools are complementary to our faith. He quotes Mark Batterson, uh, who says, Work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. Prayer is a powerful spiritual tool and the one we should always begin with. And so he, he kind of leads us in this prayer and he says, God, I know you're the one who spoke my life into existence. I know you are with me and you have not left me alone. You are the great healer. Today, I pray that you will go before us. Begin the healing work in our hearts and minds. Help me learn how to connect on a deeper level and use me as a tool in your hand to help others heal from despair. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all for this episode. If you would like to receive updates about future episodes of Overflow, head over to overflow.community slash subscribe. Remember, no one should face anxiety or depression alone. Join a growing community learning about brain health and following Jesus. For more information, head over to overflow.community slash connect.